the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Barbara Walters interviewed Vladimir Putin. And now, so has Tucker Carlson. Get ready for him to be called a traitor and a Putin sympathizer, something nobody ever called Barbara. But what he is is a journalist, and the so-called journalists at every other outlet in the U.S. and Europe, including Fox, they shouldn't be mad. They should be jealous. It's what is known in the news business as a great get. If the people in charge at ABC, CBS, MSNBC, and CNN haven't been trying hard to get an interview with Putin, shame on them. Carlson confirmed today that he has interviewed him. He told the company that he co-founded the Day Caller, quote, Two years into a war that's reshaping the entire world, most Americans are not informed. They have no real idea what's happening in this region here in Russia or 600 miles away in Ukraine. But they should know. They're paying for much of it in ways that they might not yet fully perceive, unquote. And they've heard one side of the story, that Putin is an evil dictator and a war criminal, and Ukraine is a country of freedom-loving people. You don't hear very often that Ukraine is the most corrupt country in Europe, but it is. And it'll be interesting to hear what Carlson gets out of Putin. But what'll be most interesting is the number of demediocrats' heads exploding. And how about the reaction on Fox News, by the way? Are they going to keep pretending that Tucker Carlson doesn't exist and just, you know, ignore the interview? Carlson should replay the interview on X in prime time and blow every other news network out of the water. When we come back... It's Black History Month. We'll get some perspective on the future from the founder and president of the Black Conservative Federation. And in our second half hour, Donald Trump lost one in court today, but he's got a big case in front of the Supreme Court on Thursday. We'll talk to a guy who's going to be arguing whether Colorado had the right to take Trump off the ballot. Stick around. As you probably know, February is Black History Month, and history obviously is about looking back, but there's a conservative black organization called the National Center for Public Policy Research Center that wants to emphasize looking forward. Deontay Johnson is a member of Project 21 at the National Center. He joins us now. Deontay, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. So, hey, Deontay, I have to tell you that I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but there we have a, a wide receiver for the Steelers named Deontay Johnson. So. I, I am a Steelers fan, and I know number 18 okay. very well. All right, because I don't want anybody to think that, that it's that Deontay Johnson on here uh, speaking for you, so just to, just to clear that up. Um, so I, I've had uh, several members of your organization on the show, but just kind of to refresh people's mind, what what is Project 21? So Project 21 is a group of, um, leaders in the black conservative movement, um, whether they be policymakers, whether they be um, people that work at think different think tanks or uh, in some forms of government or even just in the media or, you know, just activists in general. 
Okay, and, and you're also the founder and president of the Black Conservative Federation. What can you tell us about that? The Black Conservative Federation is a national organization that is a hub for black conservatives all over the country. We help candidates get elected. We help um, help create policy throughout the communities um, and throughout government. Uh, but we also <clears throat> really educate the community on what does it mean to be a conservative. And uh, Deontay, would you say there is a, uh, a black conservative movement in the country right now? Absolutely, absolutely, and it's growing every second. Well, what what's what are the indications for you that that's happening? I mean, more so than in the past. There's always been. It's not like there haven't been black conservatives before. But uh, what are you seeing or hearing that makes you think that maybe it's a little different now? Since it's in, it's um, it's it's increasing or moving well, quick, I went more from quickly. A- I went from being one of the only conserv- one of the few conservatives um, in Illinois, when I, where I'm from, to um, every time I come into the Black Conservative Federation's headquarters and look at my email, there's a new email from someone, um, and sometimes there's more than one, uh, saying that I'm joining the Republican Party and how can I get more involved. And, and what do they give as a reason, and why now? Um, people have the, it's, it's, it's a mixture of reasons. There's some people who said, you know, I've never done the research. And so I'm not that I'm conservative. There's some people who says that, you know, I want something different. There's some people who come based on policy, based on being pro-life, based on being pro, um, a strong economy, based on, um, you know, seeing their communities continue to suffer and nothing's being done about it. So it just depends but there's a plethora of things that are bringing people over. And do you see, well, you said that uh, back in Illinois, you, you you felt maybe kind of like the Lone Ranger at times. Now, now there's a lot of people joining you. Um, would you be able to put your finger on what generation these uh, newcomers are from? It's a mixture. It is a complete mixture. Um, I don't think there's any generational divide, I think. We have 21-year-olds and we have 70-year-olds that are now saying that, you know what, I'm a conservative. Um, the 70-year-olds uh, are saying, you know what, I can't believe I didn't see this all alone, but um, better late than never. Is it, um, how much of it, I guess is a better way to ask you, um, how much of it is uh, a, maybe a, a realization, some people come to it quicker than others, that the promises that have been made by the Democrat Party for so long haven't uh, haven't been fulfilled, and it's it's just they're fed up. Yeah, um, I think it's a mix. Like I said, I think it's a complete mixture. Um, I think that it's it's the promises, but it's also just the actions of what's happening. I mean, a lot of people are just seeing just. The life comparison from a Democratic administration, from a Republican administration to a Democratic administration. What is is it? I don't know how to put this, but I guess the the only way I can think of asking it is: Is it easier to be a black conservative now, where you don't have to justify it as much or defend it? I guess I'm asking among other black people. It's a lot easier than it used to be. 
Um, it's a lot easier than it used to be. I remember when um, I became a conservative, a lot of people um, were bashing and, um, you know, saying, oh, I, don't, I, don't, I think you're confused. And, um, but now people are saying, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. And, um, you know, people are making that stop to the independent area first and then saying, well, you know what, then I think I'll come along. Um, but people are people are just they're wanting different and they're seeing that, you know, under President Trump, we went from having uh, a great and booming economy to under President Biden, the economy that is um, slow as a turtle. <laughs> when did you become a conservative? And it was it was it a gradual thing? Well, you know, I've been a conservative all my life. I've oh, okay. never been a Democrat. Um, I did the research. I said, listen, I am a conservative based on the principles that I'm that I'm researching. So I've always been a conservative and I believe in the principles of free enterprise and limited government, uh, the First and Second Amendment and the sanctity and dignity of life. I just believe in those principles. And that's what created um, and crafted my stance of being a Republican. Um, so, uh, and we're talking to Deontay Johnson. He's a member of Project 21 and founder and president of the Black Conservative Federation. So this is Black History Month. Uh, February is always Black History Month. Is Black History Month a good thing? Is it a positive I think thing? Black History, I think it is a great thing. I think that it is, it is a, it's something that reminds us of what, what, how far we've come, I'll mm-hmm. say that. I believe that it reminds us not just black Americans, but I believe that Black History Month also reminds white Americans. Black History Month is great for white Americans. And the reason I say that is, is that, um, and all Americans, is that in black, with Black History Month, it shows us that, you know, listen, America hasn't always gotten it right. There's been some bumps along the way, but every day is, a redemption story, and it shows that America is still a work in progress. Are the where you, where you see the uh, the people represented in Black History Month in the media? Um, how do you feel about the the choice of the people who are portrayed, and maybe maybe the ones who might be left out that you think should be mentioned more? Um, I I think that. Yes, you're going to have the individuals who we should highlight more. I think we should always highlight individuals like K. Coles James and um, Condoleezza Rice and J.C. Watts and Dr. Ben Carson more. Um, and so you're going to have that disparity because of the politics. But, you know, that's why the Black Conservative Federation exists. And that's why we our data that we have every year exists, because we want to showcase and highlight Black conservatives all around the country that are doing the work, that are fighting and blazing the trail for so many of us. Um, and that's what's important. And that's why we do that. That's why we highlight individuals like Byron Donalds and Burgess Owens and John James and Wesley Hunt. And we highlight people like Winston Sears in Virginia, who's um, the first Jamaican-American a lieutenant governor in the country. So we highlight people like Jennifer Carroll, who was the first um, Caribbean American lieutenant governor um, in the, in, in, um, from Florida. 
that's important. Or even like the Rodney Halls, who were who's the first black state rep um, in Mississippi since Reconstruction. Those are important things that we highlight, and that's why the Black Conservative Federation exists because we want to also give bite to them as well. You say on the uh, National Center website that conservative principles are the only principles that will bring blacks out of poverty and break blacks out of an education lock. What's the education lock? The education lock is making sure, and that's why, yes, conservative principles are the only thing that can bring the black community out of poverty and the education lock. Poverty being that we know that the way to stop poverty and the way is a capitalist society. We know that the way to um, change the education lock in America is through school choice, making sure that a parent can send their child wherever they want to send their child, regardless of the zip code, making sure that we're raising the standard for our children and making sure that we're not, we're not selling for, settling for less when it comes to the future of our children. I've been, I felt for a long time that the Republicans don't do nearly enough on school choice. Not that they don't talk about it or, or not that they don't support the idea, but I, I just I, I don't think that they um, go far enough, and I don't think that they talk about it enough or loudly enough. Do you agree? Yes, I think there's a lot more that can be done, but I think we also have to uh, find solutions as well um, and alternatives. You know, while I am extremely... I extremely support school choice. I also, as a conservative, believe that we have to do more to try to fix the public school sector as well. Mm -hmm. And I think we can do both. I think we can, you know, parents can choose where their child goes, but we can also, and along the way, is strengthen in our public education, strengthen our public schools, because I believe that, you know, I can send my children to private schools. I can send my children to charter schools, but... As a, as a as a community leader, as someone who cares about America, I want to make sure that every child in America is also going to get a quality education. Well, what's the chances uh, today uh, of a black kid, or uh, any kid really, but you're talking about black kids specifically, um, what's the chance of a black kid going to a public school and learning conservative principles there? Um, it, 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 you know, it really depends on the area. Uh, I grew up in a very conservative uh, county in Illinois. And so I wasn't taught the indoctrination of, of, you know, liberalism, but also, you know, I went to a public school. And so it really just depends on the, the location of where the school is. You know, you know, you're in California or Philadelphia and in, in the in the inner city of those schools, yeah, you may you you'll you'll experience the indoctrination. So it really just depends. And that's the battle that we have between um inner city and rural public education. Uh, I'm I don't know if you're aware of the the quote from Walter Williams, the former and late um commentator and um head of the economics department of George Mason University. He's he said that uh, if the Ku Klux Klan wanted to come up with a plan to hold back black people, American pump, they couldn't come up with a better idea than American public schools. Now, he said that a long time ago. 
but uh, I think he was talking about urban schools mostly. Yeah, urban schools. Yeah, and that's the deal. I mean, you know, um, it, that's 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 the that's the issue. And even when we look at state states and their public school records, it's usually the urban school, the urban cities that are bringing down the entire state. Yeah, and. And I, I, we're talking to Deontay Johnson. He is the uh, founder and president of the Black Conservative Federation. And Deontay, I see, if I'm not mistaken, that Donald Trump is speaking at the Black Conservative Federation Honors Gala on the 23rd of this month. Absolutely. We are so honored to have President Donald J. Trump as our keynote speaker. As we, re- as we fight to restore America, one of the first print, one of the first first tasks in restoring America is making sure that President Donald J. Trump is reelected and and well reelected and to be able to enter, uh, enter into the White House to finish what he started, finish the deal, and really save America. America's in trouble right now, and we need some serious leadership. We just need leadership, not it is, whether it's good leadership, bad leadership. We need leadership because there's nothing right now. There is nothing. We are on autopilot, and the pilot is in the restroom, and he hasn't left. <laughs> well, it must be a great feeling for you, uh, someone who founded this organization. I don't know how long ago you founded, founded it. but it's, Eight years ago. How many? Eight years ago we so, founded the organization. In eight years, you have the president of the former president of the United States and possible next president of the United States speaking at your event. That's pretty cool. Yes, it's awesome, awesome, and we're blessed to have them, and it's going to be a great night, a a memorable night, and a historic night as well. Now, how hard was it to get him? It wasn't hard at all. We worked very closely with the campaign and very closely uh, with the the Trump administration that, you know, we're doing all that we can do to make sure that – February February 24th, the day after our event, um, President Donald Trump is the nominee, and we're able to fight together as a party to defeat Joe Biden and the radical left. Um, and I, I, someone suggested to me the, the idea that uh, Donald Trump should do rallies in um, urban areas where there's a large black population and a lot of Democrat votes and blacks who have been you know, voting for Democrats too automatically over the years, that he should show up with some of the people you mentioned, Byron Donalds and and um, and, and other people, um, Hunt, to show up and do rallies in those places. Do you think that would be a good idea? I think that showing up in those areas is very good, not necessarily rallies, but really just having conversations and listening to the concerns of the everyday people. That is, to me, that is golden, and I think that's um, – what will help cross us to get us across the finish line? Well, Deontay, I'm out of time, uh, but can you tell me how, how can people find the uh, the Black Conservative Federation? They can find us by keying in bcsaction.com. That's our website. Again, that's bcsaction.com. They can visit us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just keying in the Black, just keying in Black Conservative Federation. And if they want to get involved, anyone wants to get involved, be a part. You don't have to be black. You just have to care about increasing and elevating the conservative movement. They can uh, do so at the website. 
and would love, love, love to keep them involved. If they want to find out more about me, they can visit me at BCF President on Twitter. And I just, you know, welcome everyone. DCF President at Twitter? Yep. Hey, BCF, I should say. Hey, um, Deontay, thanks for coming on. Hope to have you on again. Thank you so much. Okay, that's Deontay Johnson, and it's the Black Conservative Federation. I'll be right back. Well, Donald Trump lost one today. The U.S. Uh, Court of Appeals, D.C. Circuit, ruled that he doesn't have immunity for his actions on January 6th, and that's expected to go to the Supreme Court. J. Christian Adams of the Public Interest Legal Foundation has a date with the Supreme Court on another subject the day after tomorrow. He joins us now. Christian, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me, John. So uh, any thoughts before we get on to what you're going to be doing on Thursday? Any thoughts on the one he lost today? Well, you know, i got to tell you, this doesn't come as much of a surprise. The court was going to probably have to reverse uh, a 50-year-old, almost 50-year-old precedent called U.S. v. Nixon in order to grant immunity. So it doesn't surprise me this happened. Okay, but um, is it is he done, or is it? Well, least what do you think? What do you? How do you like his chances at the Supreme Court? I guess, or I'm, I'm getting well. Like like I said, I think the court is going to have. To, I, I would be surprised if the Supreme Court takes this case. Frankly, oh, okay. Um, I, I I don't think it will take the Supreme. Uh, it will take the immunity case. But, hey, I could be wrong, but um, I just have a feeling they want to dodge this question. What do you say to people who suggest that, well, if you're going to get Trump for that, you can start lining up Obama for Fast and Furious. You can, uh, There's other uh, George Bush for, uh, I don't know, weapons of mass destruction, lying about that. You could, you can, uh, Barack Obama for killing people with drones, civilians. I've seen those things mentioned um, that... Okay, if if that's the way it's going to work, then we're going to go find some some dirt on past presidents, and then it creates a bad precedent. It it clearly could do that, but, uh, you know, there's general principle in U.S. v. Nixon that a president can't be uh, considered to be immune from prosecution. That was, you know, a big case in 19, I think, like I said, 1974, uh, and it, you know, is it, it's never been reversed. Uh, I think the court would have to reverse it. And that's uh, that goes back to Watergate, right? Yeah, the yeah. president basically argued that look, we don't have to turn over these records uh, because even if we did, you couldn't prosecute a president anyhow. Uh, and that was a sitting president, so the the situation is even more narrow. And the Supreme Court, I, I want to say, it was nine nothing. I think it was a nine nothing opinion. Uh, I'll look that up, but I think it was nine nothing. Said that yes, the president can be. Well, that's a bad loss. Um, so, um, what's happening on Thursday? Well, this is a much more interesting case where, uh, you know, the the radical supreme uh, radical Secretary of State uh, knocked President Trump off the ballot, and uh, Colorado, you know, th- yeah. right in Colorado, and and this is. This is just like what the Soviets used to do. It's like, oh, you can't vote for anybody except the preferred candidate. And and the Supreme Court is going to hear this. And whether or not under this 14th Amendment clause of the Constitution that 
this Colorado Secretary of State had the authority to do that. And I don't think it's a close call. I don't think it's even a close call. We filed a brief in the case um, that we argue that the 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 part of the Constitution that she relied on to yank Trump off the ballot was repealed by Congress in 1898 under the Amnesty Act. It's the only part of the Constitution, John, that gave Congress the power to repeal it. You know, normally you have to go to the states to get ratified, but this part was repealed. Uh, we also say the Constitution sets the qualifications for president, not the Secretary of State of Colorado. That seems like kind of a slam dunk. You'd think. Um, but, you know, there you are. You're going to be at the Supreme Court. Now, everybody, well, not everybody, but I think anybody who's been following this, uh, and I've uh, seen it and heard it said uh, on cable TV all over the place and seen sound bites that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment makes Donald Trump an insurrectionist and therefore disqualifies him. So, So what does it say? And why are those people wrong? Okay, so it is true that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which, by the way, was passed, I want to say 1868, I might have that off by year, but 1868, right after the Civil War, was passed so Confederate officers could not once again become like, you know, senators and secretaries of war, and they wouldn't be allowed in the in the United States government. That that was their sort of punishment. You know, in the old days, you know, 500 years earlier, uh, they would have all been marched to the palace, and then somebody would have had a charcoal fire burning, which I don't even tell you what that's for. Uh, and so the, the penalty this time around for the Civil War was you just can't serve as an officer of the United States. Well, that's what they're saying. If you... They're saying Trump engaged in an insurrection, and therefore he can't serve as an officer of the United States. That's the argument of the of the Secretary of State of Colorado to not put his name on the ballot. Okay, and so you're and you're you're going to be claiming that um, that the Secretary of State of Colorado doesn't get to decide who's qualified to run or be president. That's right. The Constitution does. Yeah. You remember, 30 years ago, in 1995, there was a case about term limits. And Congress passed a term limit law to limit the terms of Congress, and it was very popular at the time. And the Supreme Court of the United States heard the case and said, no, no, no. Only the Constitution sets the qualifications for serving in Congress. And you can't add to or subtract from those constitutional requirements. And in the case of the president, you have to be a natural-born citizen, 35 years old, and you can't be of the same state as your vice president. That's it. That's it. There's nothing else in the Constitution. And for Congress, in 1995, the Supreme Court ruled you can't go beyond the requirements. So I believe that that case from 1995 is going to resolve this, because the Colorado Secretary of State can't decide what the qualifications are for President of the United States. That's already been decided by the founders. Yeah, and uh, we talked at the beginning here about uh, the uh, the case that was ruled on today um, and uh, that the Trump lost, but they're both kind of tied to January 6th, aren't they? Obviously, I think. 
Well, right. Immunity is one thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the the federal charges, whether or not he could be immune uh, from prosecution. And, and Jenna Griswold, the Secretary of State of Colorado, uh, tied it to January 6th and said, you engaged in insurrection, therefore I'm not going to list you on the ballot. Has anybody been charged with insurrection yet? You know what? That's a good question. And generally speaking, I don't know. I will confess. I know they've been charged with other stuff. Uh, there's a chance that some of them were, um, you know, some of the people who went inside the Capitol. I can't remember, John, on your pop quiz what the right answer is. Yeah, I, I have a feeling that I thought I saw that nobody has actually been officially charged with insurrection because um, – you're, it's kind of hard to lead an insurrection if there hasn't hasn't been anybody that you led who's been charged with that crime. Yeah, and here's the other uh, problem that that uh, they have to take him off the ballot. There was a trial to mm -hmm. decide whether or not he was guilty of insurrection, as per the articles of impeachment. And guess what happened in that trial? It was like it, it was an acquittal, and so. The one body that is charged in the Constitution with deciding, acting like a jury, whether or not somebody is guilty, actually acquitted the president of the very charge that they're now using, the so-called insurrection. Yeah, the Senate tried him, correct? Right. And acquitted him. That's right. Which everybody knew was going to happen. Well, maybe, but, you know... It, whether or not everybody knew it was going to happen doesn't mean it doesn't have constitutional power when he's acquitted. And so to go back now and say, oh, you're guilty of insurrection, you're like, hello, please look at the verdict from the United States Senate. It says something different. Yeah, we're talking to Jay Christian Adams of the Public Interest Legal Foundation. He'll be uh, at the Supreme Court on Thursday uh, to argue this case. Um, so uh, um, Jay, uh, is, are you going to be actually – petitioning the court here you're you will be it'll be you standing in front of the justices no, and no let me let's clarify that i i, I do holy moly <laughs> no we filed a brief oh, okay a, a brief to the court uh that i filed specifically pointing out the fact that this law had been repealed this insurrection clause i don't think anybody else made that argument so that's why ours is a little different uh, so we filed this brief uh, that, you know, I'm sure will be read, uh, and who knows? Maybe it'll be the basis for the whole decision if we're if, if we're lucky. Well, how does how does that work? The brief, how long does that take? It's, it's obviously this is happening pretty quickly. Is it is this quicker than normal? That you... Yeah, it's super quicker than normal. The brief. So normally a Supreme Court case will go on over months. And, you know, you'll get an argument scheduled months in advance and you'll wait till the end of June. This one's on a fast track. And the court took it, I want to say, like January uh, 7th or 8th. They took the case and they scheduled briefing uh, that had to happen very quickly. Uh, I remember because it was still deer season around here when when <laughs> when they ordered the briefing and uh, and at least in, in Virginia. And uh, and so we had to do the brief very quick. And then they scheduled argument very quick, and I suspect they're going to rule very quick. Mm -hmm. And um, what happens if they rule in um, uh, the president's favor? What does that do to other states who have tried this or were thinking about trying it? Yeah, it shuts it down. It says this is nonsense. 
you can't remove uh, candidates from the ballot because you think they engage in insurrection. That's what it does, and it puts Trump puts Trump on the ballot in 50 states. But remember, they're going after congressmen now. They, they, they try to disqualify congressmen who were allies with President Trump. Uh, they, they are now in the business in Oregon, for example. They disqualified 10 Oregon senators who had to leave the chamber. That, you know, they got canceled as senators uh, because the majority Democrats didn't like what they've done, not on, on January 6th, but on other stuff. So, so this is a dangerous destabilizing trend to have people removed from the ballot or removed from office just because the other side has enough votes to do it. That's what tears our country to pieces. We write in our brief how destabilizing this is. You know, a lot of people say Donald Trump is destabilizing. Well, let me tell you what's more destabilizing, and that's not allowing him to be on the ballot. Yeah, that's uh, and and again, if if this if they would get away with it, that would really create some problems as far as well, I think it's. It, yeah, I think it's even worse. Not only would it set a bad precedent, I think it would tear the country to pieces. I really do. I, I think if you start removing people from ballots and the opportunity for people to vote for the candidate of their choice, uh, after everything that's happened in the last five years, I am quite afraid that people are going to lose their marbles. And I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm not saying they should. But I am saying that they will. And that is a very, very dangerous an incendiary situation when people already don't trust the system and then you have bureaucrats not allowing people to vote for their candidate of choice. We're talking to Jay Christian Adams of the Public Interest Legal Foundation, uh, and the Supreme Court's going to come down with a, a big ruling on Thursday about Donald Trump being uh, taken off the ballot out in Colorado. Um, so, um, Christian, we've, we've talked to you uh, quite a bit here uh, to get off of this case for a second, just about um, election issues in general. Where are we on all that now as we get closer to the uh, to, to November? I mean, it doesn't seem like it's close, but it is. It's, it's going to be here fast. Yeah, the election's happening now, from my perspective. Yeah. Actually, you know, all the cases that we bring, you have to bring them in odd-numbered years. If you wait until even-numbered years, it's too late. I mean, look at our stupid case in Pennsylvania that I've been on about how many times now about the non-citizen voting records that the uh, Harrisburg, that the bureaucrats in Harrisburg are, are hiding. Uh, you know, this has been going on for years, right? You just don't resolve anything at this point. But, you know, some states have made improvements. Some states have not. I'm slightly more optimistic than pessimistic that things will be better than they were in 2020. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. There's a lot of talk now um, as we keep creeping closer to November where people are saying, look, it doesn't matter who's on the ballot because the Democrats are just going to do the same thing again. What have Nonsense. The, what have the Republicans... Sorry. sorry, but yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. What have the Republicans uh, done to make that nonsense? Well, first of all, there's people watching, uh-huh. right? We're not getting blindsided like we were in 2020 with with garbage coming out of Harrisburg just breaking the law, right? We're not we're not being hit by the Philadelphia City Election Office uh, not letting anybody observe the election like happened in 2020. Uh, uh, so the circumstances are changed. There's an army of people ready to go to battle in court and in the court of public opinion and in election offices 
to ensure the laws being followed. This is not 2020. And anybody who says what difference it will make, I'm checked out. Well, you know what? Uh, you just mailed it in, right? You, you've given up on the country. You've given up on freedom and liberty. And that just, I got no use for that because you got to keep voting. You mm-hmm. got to keep voting. The, the other side doesn't quit. The other, the, the other side doesn't quit. They, you know, they show up with their, uh, uh, the, their, their mob of people. So you'd be crazy to, to check out. You got to stay, stay the course. One of my, I, I keep seeing, seeing things about um, more discoveries being made about the Dominion voting machines, and that uh, there was one example of a, a, a guy flipped votes right in front of everybody. It took him like thirty seconds to turn a, a Biden vote into a, I mean, a Trump vote into a Biden vote by using the ballots they had. Where's that with the with the voting well, machines? Well, yeah. First of all, I don't talk much about machines because. I prefer not to be sued out of existence. Uh, that's what happened. Anybody who says that the Dominion voting machines okay. were rigged, they've lost and lost those cases badly. Right. Uh, but I will tell you my understanding of that particular incident you're talking about was that machine was in safe mode. It was not. It was not running like an ordinary election, and somebody was able to do something to it that you know was not a good thing. But it wasn't a real world circumstance and like i said i just don't do machines right i i do i do the law i do election process i do the things i can control and uh, machines are technology i'm glad we have machines i got to tell you something john when i was in the justice department monitoring elections the worst form of election and if you if you don't believe me you go watch this the worst form of election is paper ballots counted by human beings paper ballots counted by human beings, are the worst form of election. It's what Idi Amin and every third world dictator loves. That's how they want to run the election, because I would watch vote counters in Mississippi while I'm standing there essentially with a badge from the Justice Department changing votes. They would say, oh, I think that X is on John Kerry, not on George Bush. And and so the tallies were, were messed up worse than any, you know, computer would mess up as far as I'm concerned because there was criminal intent. You know, they were doing it on purpose. Yeah. And so I just got to tell you, it's a terrible system. Well, I'm, I'm out of time, but that just tells me that it's all about putting eyes on it. Human beings watching, as you said. Right. Hey, right. We'll talk again soon. Uh, thanks, uh, Christian. I appreciate it. Anytime, John. Take care. Okay. That's Jay Christian Adams, Public Interest Legal Foundation. I'll be right back. Well, Newt Gingrich was on uh, TV last night. I think he was on Fox with uh, Jesse Waters, and uh, he basically he said, "I'm I'm not predicting this, but I just don't think that Joe Biden is going to be running for president in 2024." He said, "There's just no way. Uh, he's just he's obviously having serious mental problems." <laughs> Yesterday, maybe you heard it. He started talking about uh, meeting with the various leaders of of countries he's met over time and and he was talking about a recent meeting that he had with um with uh francois mitterrand of france he said i was talking to him and uh he blah 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 well the only problem with that is that francois was uh he's dead he's been dead since 1996 so um joe and we have 
we have 10 months to go here, okay? He's not going to make it. He's just not going to make it. So get ready for either, I hope it's not Kamala Harris. How about Michelle Obama? But it's not going to be Joe. Just forget about Joe. You heard it here. Not first, but you heard it here. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.